Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming. So it has been a wild week, week and a half for the Westerman families. Talk louder? Is the mic closer? Okay. <laughs> Getting cues. I got to listen to those. So it's been a wild week, week and a half for the Westerman family. It started on September 2nd, which is also my grandparents' anniversary. Um, my youngest brother had twins. He and his wife had twins. So that's a, that's a, a really special time. And, and so we got to experience that. And then we move into this week, Tuesday, the kids start school. I start here. And then we go to this Saturday, yesterday. And then my younger brother, the one who's one younger than me in the birth order, he and his wife had a baby. So it has been really wild. It has been a lot of transitions. And whether these transitions are good or they cause anxiety, and I mean, these are all positive things, right? There, there can still be some trepidation or whatever moving forward. And I remember when we were having, we had had our first Ellie, and, and, and it, was, it was wonderful and we're pregnant uh, again. And it's getting close to the time of birth, and we just had this sense, this, this fear, this anxiety about it because we loved this little girl with all of our hearts so much that we couldn't even really understand uh, how that was possible. And now to bring another child into this, that's, that's really significant. But like, how, how, how do we do this? Do we have to divide our love in half? and then share half with one child and half with another child. And so this is what we were, we were facing. And uh, it was actually at this time that my mother said, um, your love doesn't divide, it multiplies. And this word during transition was so appropriate for us. And it was something that we just really needed to hear. And it's amazing how the spoken word can do that, right? It can bring peace. It can bring hope. So I, I love speeches, and so this week what I did is I went through and I looked through what some of people consider some of the greatest speeches of all time, and one, I noticed a couple similarities in these speeches. Pretty much all of them happened during times of transition, whether it's when a president is taking office, whether it's someone when they're moving into war, Whatever it is, they tend to happen during times of transition. So the first one I want to bring up is uh, the Gettysburg Address. And we're, we're just going to touch on these really quick. But the Gettysburg Address, now what he does and how he starts is beautiful, actually, Abe Lincoln. He starts off by painting a picture of the past. Painting a picture of the foundation that has been laid. You, you, you remember these words. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Really great way to start. He's painting uh, a picture and an image and a vision of this is what we're founded on. This is what we're established. This is the past. Let's remember the faithfulness of the past. They do something else. They dream for a better future while acknowledging the challenges of the present. And within that, 
Abe Lincoln and, and the other uh, great orators, they did not do so by saying, it's because of me, it's because of what I'm doing. He said, in terms of his own speech, the Gettysburg Address, which will ever be for remembered, it says, the world will little take note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. Meaning that these words are temporal, but what happens because of this? What everyone does, the, the works of the individual are much greater than the works of the leader. What everyone can accomplish is so much greater than what the one can accomplish. Uh, another one is JFK's inauguration speech, which is another one. And you've got to understand, this is coming out of a time of a lot of war. And he, it's, a, it's a wonderful speech if you, wanna, if you ever want to listen to it. But he talks continually about how it is in the hands. He says, in your hands, more than mine, will rest the final success or failure. And of course, he ends with the words, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Right? Those, those immortalized words there. And I, I, won't, I won't dwell on this one, but Barack Obama's uh, speech when he took office as well did the exact same thing. He looked back and painted a picture of what happened, of how the country was founded, of the faithfulness of of forefathers, of, of what's brought them to this point, acknowledge that there is a problem. This was 2009, right after the recession of 2008. They're in a very difficult spot, but believe so strongly in a good tomorrow, in a hope-filled tomorrow, and also that the success or failure of that is connected to the individual. Now, there's another really important time of transition in history, and that was with the Israelites. So in the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites have been through the wilderness. So we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. In, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. This is a time of great trial and struggle probably boredom. This is a very difficult time for the Israelites that they've just come out of. And so in the first couple chapters, Moses takes them through their, a bit of their history. And by the way, Deuteronomy means, literally means second law. So it's like a second retelling of the law. It's a, a series of sermons that Moses presents to the people of Israel. So he acknowledges that God is faithful. And he reminds them through story of times of God's faithfulness. I don't want you to miss that. And then he goes on to present present problems and problems that are in the world. And then he goes on to, um, to share the, the Ten Commandments. And, and then he dreams for a better future. He dreams for a better future, and that is one that is lived with God. So let's, uh, turn, if you're already at uh, Deuteronomy 6, we will start there. 
These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing to the Jordan, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey it so that it may go well with you and so that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Again, amazing, amazing verses there. So here's, the, here's what Brent read earlier this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that is known as the Shema, which means hear. It's a very significant text. Hero is with the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the gate Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So really good things are happening. Then you will eat and are satisfied. At that point, when everything is going really well, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's often in times of trials that we really turn toward God, but when things are going well and things seem all easy, that's when, that's when it's more difficult to remember, right? And so he wants to remind us to remember, actively remember. So going back to verse 6, it says, these commands are to be on your hearts. They're as in there to be etched onto your hearts. Opposed to the Ten Commandments, which were written in stone, these are to be written on your hearts, meaning this is a living word. This is not just something that we read or it's something that we have to do. It's something that becomes a part of us. It's a living word. It's not just to be written down. It's great when it's written down, but when it's on your heart, when it's in your heart, that is the difference. And what Moses is saying, what God is wanting for us is for this to become part of who we are, not just something that we read and maybe agree with. And on that, it's not, it's not simply a command to be obeyed, but it's evidenced in our love. So he, he's encouraging us to love, which isn't just a command to obey, right? Love as a command is kind of backwards, isn't it? It, it, it feels different when it's a command to obey love. <laughs> it's evidenced when, when we obey his commands and when we love others, it is evidenced in that way. Now, one thing that I think is neat, and several of my friends are here today, so thank you guys for coming. One thing I think is really neat when our friends get together 
is that nobody has to tell us to talk about God. No one has to tell us to talk about Scripture. It's just something that we do. It's just something that we're excited to do, to talk about what God has been doing in our lives. We don't do it because maybe it's a biblical command or whatever. We do it because it's something that we're excited about. We're excited about the Word of God. We're excited about what God is doing in our lives, in our families, and in our ministries, whether that's professionally or just because we love Jesus. No one has to tell us to do that. And when, when Moses is talking here about impressing them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, there, there's teaching and talking, right? So there are moments when we're teaching, but when you're really excited about something, you just can't help it, can you? You just, you want to talk about it. You want to talk about what God's been doing, what he's been teaching you. This is, this starts with the heart. This doesn't start with the head. This isn't just rules to obey because we have to obey them. This starts with the heart. So when we are excited about it, remember how this starts in verse five, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your strength. This starts with you loving the Lord your God. And then it's going into talking and teaching and loving and leading. And it, 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 that stuff comes after the receiving and sending back the love for God. Um, we, we move a little later on, and, and this, is, this is just to, to hit on this point again. Uh, when you go into verse 8, it says, Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So this is meant to be symbolic, but like happens, people kind of mess with things and they started making it like rules and they called them phylacteries and they would actually have things on their hands and on their heads during certain times and at certain, and what was intended to be uh, symbolic and it was intended to be an encouragement eventually became legalistic, meaning it was being required of the people to do this. Now, this is not God's intention. We're, we're going to be talking about the mission, vision, and purpose of Auburn, uh, Auburn Bible Chapel in a minute, but none of this is intended to be legalistic or, or something. It's, it's symbolism. It's to be on your hearts, not to literally be on your hands or on your foreheads, but it is... a, a we're not, um, again, it's a heart issue, and we're, we're wanting to start with a heart on it. Um, and then just into verse 12 here, it says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt into the land of, uh, out of, the land of slavery. Now, the Israelites had several different ways of conveying this, if you, could, if you can think of any. One of the things is when they crossed the Jordan, they erected a, a sculpture, right? And uh, they called it an Ebenezer, which means thus far the Lord has been faithful. And we have different versions of Ebenezers, but it's really neat to have something, whether it's a picture or whether it's... Um, some way that someone blessed you or God showed up in your life, but to have something symbolic in your house or 
wherever that you can look at and say to your children or to your friends, thus far the Lord has been faithful. This is a way that he has been faithful with me. And the other way, a really amazing way is by stories. Stories are huge. Very few things touch the heart like stories. Jesus used stories. That's, that's how he taught, is he used stories. So if we can use stories, stories of God's faithfulness, stories of God in the Bible, stories of God in our own lives, stories is how we touch the next generation, stories is how we touch our friends. It's, so much of it is by stories, and it's knowing how your story connects to God's story. Now, I want to... I want to really bring up something else, too. And when I was reading these verses, this one phrase just kept popping out at me over and over and over again, seven times, actually. Now, repetition is a powerful tool, but it's not one that the Bible uses all that often. So if God says something, you really want to tune your ear to it. But if God says something twice, he must really mean it. Again, this is in seven times in these short verses. It's this phrase that it may go well with you. God wants things to go well with you. In 529 it says, Oh, that their hearts be inclined to fear me and keep my commands always, so that it may go well with them and their children forever. 33, walk in obedience to all the Lord's commands so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land you will possess. 6 verse 2, keeping decrees and commands that I give you so that you will enjoy a long life. Uh, Verse 3, hear and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. This is a lot of references, but there's more. (laughs) Do what is right and good, this is verse 18, in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may take over uh, the good land the Lord has promised. Verse 24, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God that we might always prosper and be kept alive. In verse 25, and if we are careful to obey all his commands before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. This is a lot of if then. He wants us to live into the commands that he's given us, to live the way that he's lived, not because not because he wants us to suffer, not because he wants us to be deprived of certain things. It's because he wants it to go well with us. Now Moses was preaching all this in the middle of transition, and we here at Auburn Bible Chapel are in the middle of a transition. We're we're actually at the start of a transition. I am just starting. A lot of other things are changing as well. And it's a significant time. It's a time where we have seen some troubles. The last two and a half years or so have been very difficult years for for all churches, certainly, and Auburn is amongst them. But we got to remember a couple things, too. That we have a very strong foundation. Now, I don't know 
all that much about the history of Auburn. I'm eager to learn more of it. But from the people I've talked to, a, lot, a surprising amount of people that I've talked to when I, when I tell them that I'm going to be the pastor here, they have amazing things to say. Whether it's that their mother went to church here, or they had youth group here, or they used to come. It's a surprising amount of people, and all of the reports are overwhelmingly positive. We have an amazing, strong, and beautiful history, and I am believing that our best days are still ahead of us. And these, this depends a lot on every individual taking up their charge, the charge that God has laid on their heart. Now, we're going to be sharing the mission, vision, and it's actually a roadmap, but I wanted to change it today for, to plan just so that it's MVP. So the, the mission here is to invite, I love that word invite, to invite people to know God personally and to participate in his plan to rescue the world from sin through his son, Jesus. Now, this is huge, and this is phrased extremely well, because we can't save people. We can point people to Jesus. We can tell them our story, but it is God who saves. It is God alone who saves, and he wants to use us to do it. And we get to partner with him in doing it. It is actually a privilege. It is actually a joy to be able to share Jesus with people. This is people far from God, and this is people in your neighborhoods and at your workplace. The vision is for our whole congregation, our whole congregation to work together to see those outside the church come or return to faith. Now, we've just been coming through a difficult season, as I previously said, and, and maybe this hasn't been the vision. Maybe the vision has been uh, to stay alive or to tread water, and that's okay. There are seasons of our lives where extremely difficult things happen, and, and the goal is just to stay alive and to stay afloat. And, and we did. But at a certain point, and I don't know when that point is for the individual, but at a certain point, we have to learn to live with the crutcher. We have to decide to move forward again. But I, I, I want to I take a quick pause at this moment and, and just put my own story into this. Um, I'm glad Brent and I met last week because we, we were discussing sermons and we were discussing uh, what we were going to be preparing. And so Brent's sermon from last week and my intended sermon for today were pretty much the exact same sermon. <laughs> we had the same scripture involved. We had the same theme. We had the same, uh, well, we didn't have the same four story, but we, we had a lot of the same points. And if you missed last week, Brent's title really says it all. It's whether you perceive it or not, God loves you. And this is where my story begins. It's whether or not you experience or you're able to feel it or your circumstances are actually telling you this. God loves you. And for my story, this is that 
whether I felt like I earned it or not, whether I deserved it, whether I had worked for it, whatever it was, that God loved me, that God loved me just as I am. And it was in reading the scriptures, it was in spending time in prayer where I was able to truly grasp that God loves me. And I don't know if we'll ever fully get the depth and the incredible nature of this love that God has for us. Okay, take care, guys. (sighs) But I was rocked by it. I was changed from the inside out by the extraordinary love of God that he has for me and that he has for you. I was changed by it. And out of understanding this love that he has for, for me, I started to love him back. It's love, Lord, you God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Giving him the love back came from understanding the love that he gave to me. The value that he has placed on me. The value that he has placed on you. Uh, Brent used this text last week. But God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It has nothing to do with deserving. And we can add to that by 1 John 4.10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. The love that God has for us and the value that he has placed on us does not have to do with anything we have done. It doesn't have to do with our circumstances. It has to do with the cross. The cross determines our forgiveness, our value, and our love. And it is not debatable. It's there. Whether you perceive it or not, whether you feel it or not, God's love is there for you. From understanding this, the, the, this was my why, it made me so excited to be able to share God with the world around me. And so this, this can look like different things, and we're going to be talking about it a little bit in the plan as well, but this can look like different things. A lot of what it looks like is it's just inviting people into your life. It doesn't have to be a specific Bible study. It doesn't have to be going to church. It's just inviting someone into your life. How many of you know that we can all learn more about God? <laughs> we can all understand more of the love of God. So I was saying earlier, like, Our group of friends is mainly Christians, and we encourage one another and build each other up and talk about God, and it's organic. But what's amazing is, and this literally happened on Thursdays, we invited some friends who who we've been sharing Jesus with, but haven't yet made a decision, over and organically, we start talking about Jesus, and they start asking questions. Now, anyone else get scared by questions? Anyone else? Yeah? I get scared by questions. We all get, I don't, I don't have all the answers. <sighs> That's okay. That's not what discipleship is all about. 
Discipleship isn't about having perfect answers to every question that comes your way. I don't know. No one really does. What matters? You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about times of transition in my life. And the only one of these times of transition that I can remember what my parents said was before our second child. I don't remember what they said when I graduated. I don't remember what they said when I got married or when I moved out or when we had our first kid. I don't remember. What do I remember? What I remember is that my parents were an incredible, consistent, loving force. That they were there for me for anything that I needed to talk or whatever it might be. That's what I remember. I don't remember what they said. I remember who they are. In discipleship, people rarely remember what you say. They remember who you are. It's not about having the right answers. And now we'll move into plan. So our plan here is to cultivate a loving and welcoming community for all of those who come into our midst. I'll be honest, I have seen this in spades here. It is beautiful. When someone comes in, every week without fail, I see people going out of their way to, to welcome them, to say hi, and to make them feel welcome and to make them feel special. I think we're doing an excellent job at this, and I want to stress that this is extremely important. One of the one of the reasons why people go to church is because of community, right? They want to feel welcomed. They want to feel included, involved, valued. And we get to show people that with our actions, with our eye contact, with just doing that little extra thing. Sorry for putting you on the spot, Esther, but Esther just brought people coloring pages. That's just, it's a little thing, but it makes people feel special. Hopefully it doesn't embarrass you, but it's a, it's a little thing, but these little things go far. Is, second is to equip individual Christians to share their faith. Here is my favorite word in this sentence, relationally. We are to relationally share our faith. I think relationship comes first, and then we show people through our relationships what that can look like. To corporately partner with community outreach ministries, and then to provide opportunities for people to explore the basics of Christianity. So this is the mission vision plan of Auburn Bible Chapel. Now, as I close, I just want to set some more reminders that this starts, all of this starts with receiving the love of God that he has for you. It starts with receiving and grasping that, whether you perceive it or not. And how many of you know that God's love is is not just a one-time thing? It is constant. His mercies are new every morning. 
we can always continually enter into his love. I don't fully get it. I'm so excited to continue to learn and to grow in his love. This is to be on your heart. It's, it's not just something that you're to do. This is something that is to be on your heart. Remember, we share what we're excited about. And as this happens, we can, we can continually remember. Stories are powerful. Images are powerful. Bible verses, discussion, just talking because you're excited about it. This stuff is powerful. It's powerful for the next generation. It's powerful for your, your sphere of influence. We have, a, we have a strong foundation. <laughs> we have a very strong foundation. And we have a very, we have a lot of hope for the future. So remember. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember that what you do matters. Even the little things. Every little thing that you do for the kingdom of God matters. And remember that your story your story matters. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are here with us. Father God, I thank you for the love that you have for everyone here. God, your love is true whether we perceive it or not, whether we feel it or not. But God, I just pray that if someone is here needing a touch of your love, God, that you meet them even in this moment, God, that you allow them to experience your love. God, I thank you that you have created us um, for more. But you've created us for joy. Thank you that serving you is such a joy. Lord, I thank you for Auburn Bible Chapel and for your faithfulness to them and for your faithfulness demonstrated through them. And we pray this in your name. Amen.